Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. A new era of strict social media rules is now imminent, says Taoiseach Michael Martin in wake of a video circulated last weekend featuring the Tánaiste Leo Varadkar. I think we are now entering into an era where there'll be far more regulation of social media platforms than perhaps there was. New Zealand passes world-first tobacco law to ban smoking for the next generation. Will Ireland be next to take a similar approach? And the UK faces winter of strikes as workers demand higher pay and better conditions. Do join the conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag TonightVMTV. Tonight, the government has won a dial motion of confidence in the Housing Minister, Dara O'Brien. The vote was 86 in favour, 63 against, with one abstention. It was prompted by the decision by People Before Profit Solidarity last week to table a motion of no confidence in Dara O'Brien. The executive editor of the Daily Mail group, John Lee, joins us now. John, they won that by a very comfortable majority. But what was the debate's like between the government and the opposition on this very sensitive issue of housing? Well, Micheál Martin stayed behind from an important trip to Brussels and we wondered why, but he seemed to have prepared a very passionate um, defence of his housing minister, uh, who is, I think, the only cabinet minister he has assured of his place in the the forthcoming reshuffle. Uh, I I, I found Micheál Martin's contribution a bit strange that he, he... criticised the entire opposition very volubly for criticising housing um, policy, accused them of trolling the housing minister online and, and of populism. Now, Ivana Batchik is part of the, um, the opposition, I'm sure. She hasn't indulged in some of those activities. To, it would be strange not to ask what, um, why he thinks it's not acceptable to criticise the housing minister, who mm. has, by all measure, failed in, in, in his attempts to keep homelessness down, for instance. It's, it's, we've got record homelessness um, Yeah, they we, talk a lot about playing politics with this issue, but surely this is playing opposition, isn't it? Well, as I say, the, the, it was unlike the Taoiseach to, um, to get as aggressive as he did uh, in the Dáil when, you know, they're, and ultimately the major opposition party may well be um, a party he'll be looking to form a coalition with in the, in the future, Sinn Féin. And he's not, unlikely over Adgar, he's not been as, as forthright in his criticism of, the, of Sinn Féin in particular. We can assume that a lot of this was aimed at Sinn Féin because Mary Lou Macdonald came back at him and she responded that the housing minister has failed um, immeasurably in, in, in his But look, in his they position. won. And they, they won, won. The comfortable, and I think very the figures, comfortable majority. The majority is interesting because, you know, I'm not quite sure. I haven't had a chance to uh, analyse or peruse the, the exact uh, um, breakdown of how the vote went. But if you look at the, vo- the budget vote, which don't, let's not forget, there was concern over the margin approaching that. They won around by around the same margin, about 20 votes. And go back to the motion of confidence in the government last summer, 
similarly, they, they had a similar margin. So it, it would look for a government who really is a razor-thin majority, actually has a working majority of about 20 here when, when it comes down to the, the, hard, the hard vote on the day. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, a reminder tonight about our nightly live interactive poll. It'll allow you to get involved in the show and tell us what you think about the big issues of today. And tonight we are asking, do you think social media platforms need more regulation? Well, you can vote online on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash vote or follow the QR code you currently see on your screen and we'll bring you the poll results a little later in the programme. And we are, of course, asking this question because the Taoiseach, Michael Martin, has said there will be a new era of stricter rules around social media. He was speaking in the wake of the controversy surrounding a video which was circulated of the Taunish to last weekend. In an interview with the Indo Daily podcast, Mr. Martin condemned the intrusion into Mr. Varadkar's private life, saying what happened was a breach of privacy fundamentally. Well, joining me here in studio to discuss this is Labour Party leader Ivana Bacic, Minister of State at the Department of Higher Education, Niall Collins. Executive Editor with the Daily Mail Group, John Lee. Columnist, Ian O'Doherty. And CEO of CyberSafe Kids, Alex Cooney. But first, let's take a listen to what the Taoiseach had to say to the Indoor Daily podcast. Well, there is a lot of legislation coming down uh, stream in terms of the online media bill, for example, which would be a significant Digital Services Act. So there's a lot, Europe is bringing a lot of regulations. So I think we are now entering into an era where there'll be far more regulation mm. of social media uh, platforms than perhaps there was. There was a lot of regulation already on the privacy side, but right across the board now, I, I think there's more level playing field being created between the traditional mainstream media and, so mm. and, and social media. Um, John Lee, I'm going to start with you. We do have this Online Safety Act. We have COCO law. There has been some movement towards controlling or perhaps regulating social media. Do you see the Taoiseach's comments as an indication that he wants to go further? Um, I don't think he's indicating that he's going far enough. Uh, the, uh, social media is not bound by any of the rules that govern um, traditional media that I work for, and both online and print. If you look at a country like Australia, and obviously working in the media industry, it's something I, 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 I observe quite often. Uh, Australia have taken, which I think is the only move that can possibly regulate social media, which is to make them publishers. Mm. We're a publisher, the company I work for, DMG Media. We are, we are now, of course, the, the defamation laws that we are governed by need reform themselves. Mm. But ultimately, if we offend somebody or defame them or destroy their reputation in any way, we are subject to, to draconian law. Um, the social media companies, to, to generalise their defence, would be we are, not a, we are not a publisher, we are merely, merely facilitating a chat. We're a chat, we're a chat room, they would say. Mm. So if somebody like Niall Collins or yourself, um, a public figure, or a private figure is defamed or, or insulted on, the, on, on those mediums, you have very little recourse because often you will find that the people who are spreading the most malicious uh, accusations, images, everything else, almost uh, very often have no, have no resources by which you can sue them. 
And, and do you think, given what happened at the weekend, that the Taoiseach now and perhaps the government have a better understanding of how social media can perhaps be abused and how it can not only, you know, platform harmful content but can invade somebody's private life? Has it given them a different perspective, do you think? Um, I don't know, because let's look at the facts here. This country uh, is very reliant on the income we receive in corporation tax and employment and everything else that we get from these social media companies. And you know, they've, they're, they're, many of them have a large European bases here. So if- So they've been reticent, you're saying? Well, this is not the first instance of anyone being, being uh, having their privacy or far worse mm. um, uh, interfered with on, on social media. And there's been no action taken at all, as far as I can see. All right, as it stands, Alex, who is the responsible put on for the content that we see on social media? Is it the platform provider, the tech giants behind these social media, or is it the individual who uploads the content? Well, so for a long time it hasn't been clear, but actually we do now have the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill, so it was signed into law on Saturday. So that, you know, the era is now, um, and this will now put a lot more onus on the online services to uh, to police their platforms to be responsible for the com content that's uploaded. I mean, it doesn't remove responsibility from users either, which I think is important, you know, that there is responsibility there as well. But this is a new era and we will be hopefully modelling the Australian um, uh, model here too, uh, which is something that we've been uh, wanting to see for a long time. So, Does it, it go far enough in your opinion? Well, I mean, the, the devil will be in the detail. We'll see when, when you know, we start to, to see the, the law unfold. We're going to have an online safety commissioner hopefully early next year. We're going to see safety codes being developed. Um, I think we need to see evidence. So, let you know, like the Australians produce reports regularly to show, how, you know, what they're doing. And actually, it's been incredibly effective. They have a very wide remit. Their powers have been strengthened over the years through amendments to the original legislation. So, you know, I'm hoping that we have the similar model here, you know, particularly for the most vulnerable users, so children. Um, yeah, which is something, Ian, that the teacher did allude to today in this interview as well. He said that we, the public, the general public, haven't fully worked out the impact of social media yet. Would you agree with him? No, I think anybody who's been the victim of a pylon on social media, which is pretty much everybody in this room, uh, has figured out the impact of, you know, social media is a, has become a toxic and pernicious mm. and fundamentally anti-democratic force in Western society. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things, I mean, I'd like to say, and I'm sure everybody here, what happened to Varadkar was an absolute disgrace. It was shocking, but it wasn't surprising. And that's the problem that we have in society now. But so one of the things, I, I, I'm fundamentally against the imposition of more legislation, right? I don't like more laws, they tend not to work. What we need is more education. But the one simple thing, the one simple thing that nobody's saying is, get rid of anonymity. Because whoever put up mm. that video, they wouldn't have done it if they had to put their name to it. And if we get into that situation where you own what you say, because we have too many anonymous cowards and bad actors who get away with bloody murder, right? I mean, I'm just, there's, there's yeah, a I guy- just, I'm just interested because I know, Ivan, I can see you shaking your head and I was going to ask, 
Do, is there anything, do you think, within this legislation that you talked about, this online safety bill, that deters somebody from taking out their phone and recording an individual doing whatever? if it's in a public place? Well, first of all, I was nodding my head in agreement with mm. Ian because I do think that... Uh, first time for everything uh, about it. First time for everything, <laughs> Ian. This, it's, it's Christmas. Al <laughs> it's always good to, to be on, on, uh, on the same side on something. But, but uh, on a serious note, I was horrified at the leaking of the video about uh, the tarnished. I think it was utterly unacceptable. It was a gross invasion of his private life and it and it's something that shouldn't shouldn't happen and I think Ian's right about anonymity and I think that actually is a crucial point because you can't sue for libel or defamation if you don't know who you're suing so people can hide behind anonymity and social media and that's mm. what has made it pernicious now you know I'm somebody who uses Twitter there's a, you know there's there can be a huge democracy too to social media mm -hmm. and we've seen it used for very positive purposes as well but undoubtedly the lack of requirement for verification has been a problem in terms of uh, regulation of social media and preventing harms. Brendan Howland, my Labour colleague, actually brought forward Coco's Law, one of the reforms we've seen. And we do, we do need law. Here I disagree with Ian. We do need laws to regulate social media. The Coco's Law um, initiative was important because it has created new criminal offences around sharing of, of images yeah, it's online It's quite specific, and so on. though. It's quite it's, narrow, yeah. isn't it? And that's why, we, that's why we also need the Online Safety Act that Alex is talking about, that the President just signed into law recently, because that brings us the civil side, the new online safety Commissioner, the power to bring in the media codes and, in, and, and to ensure in particular that we're going to see takedown because a lot of the time what people want to see is the taking down of the images, but the taking down of, it, the, yeah. of the harmful and abusive content. And I'm that's just conscious crucial. though, knowing social media as we all do in this room, how quickly and how how fast things can go viral and how quickly things can be viewed tens of thousands of times. And by the time they're taken down, it, it's almost too late. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you do about that, Niall Collins? Because I'm conscious that Taoiseach also today talked about social media companies, but he did talk about the need for social media users to be held accountable, is what he said. They need to be mm -hmm. held accountable for the behaviour. What does he mean by that? What behaviours? And what is being held to account? What does that mean? Yeah, well, th that's the detail that will have to be worked out when the regulatory framework is developed by the by the um, by the information, the online safety commissioner, when that is established. So we, we, the act has been signed in, as as we've been saying, and that detail has to be worked out now. But I think in the main, um, social media is a very uh, powerful source. Uh, it's very, it, it plays hugely positive roles in society too. I think we shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, if you look at for example, the area of business, the area of uh, sports and social clubs, community um, groups right around the country use social media very, very positively and, you know, affect... Uh, Journalism, positive. politicians. A absolutely. So, yes. so you, have, you have the downside to it. And uh, as Ian has said, we've probably all been victims of social media pylons here, mm. uh, all of us here in the, in the show. Um, so we have the downsides that we need to look at. But I, I think two, two key points for me is education. Um, particularly our younger people, and I've noticed a trend because I, I'm on uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. You get piled in on Twitter. You don't get piled in on Instagram. Why? Because there's a younger demographic using Instagram, mm. and I think a lot of um, what are what the younger people are being taught in schools and in college in terms of respect and in terms of you know cyber awareness and you know social skills i think is actually coming true in that and a lot of older generations yeah. uh, who didn't uh, who, who weren't i suppose educated by the educators um back in the day in relation to social media behavior and proper codes uh, is reflected in twitter because there's an older demographic would you agree with that ian yeah i would and also what i would say is that the broader picture is 
the reason why I would say this is a threat to democracy is why would somebody go into politics if they think what happened to Varadkar could happen to them? The American journalist Greg Goodfeld used to joke that in 20 years' time, there won't be any politicians because they'll all have said something stupid on Facebook and they'd be exposed. But now we have smartphones, which actually makes it even more urgent because honestly, I, if I was a, a young kid who was thinking about going into a political career, mm. and I see this, I wouldn't yeah. bother. Yeah, but I'm just conscious, Alex, that this can happen to people in any walk of life. You don't have to be in the public eye at all. You could be in a public space, as I know another journalist tweeted recently, in a public space with your partner and you get recorded. And they were very uncomfortable with that. You don't have to be in the public mm-hmm. eye. My, my question, I suppose, is what rights or what recourse should an individual have if they feel their image is being used on social media and they're concerned or uncomfortable about it. Well, this is why this this element of the bill, that this individual complaints mechanism, which has made it into the legislation, which is which is crucial, uh, uh, you know, will make a difference because it means that if social media and online services do not respond to complaints for removal, for timely removal, then they have the option to take it to the regulator to to get a time-bound takedown uh, notice yeah. issued, which is what is happening in Australia. And this timeliness is absolutely key. But there's no consequences for the individual who posted this. Well, it, I mean, should there be any no, consequences? There will, there will be. In Australia, there is, but yeah. in our mm. own legislation, we haven't put. We that haven't in. put that in. No, our but that will be coming when the online safety commissioner is up and running. I mean, that's what we want to see. That's mm. the strengthened well, aspect again, we want to see. And I should say this: I mean, the point about people being put off entering politics—that's a very real concern. Mm. The Gender Equality Committee, which I'm chairing, we're going to be producing our report on Thursday. But we're looking at the recommendations of the Citizens' Assembly on gender equality, and one of the key points they make is the need to ensure that a strengthening of the law against uh, abuse of, on social media and online. Because it's because acting as a deterrent. Particularly for women. For but women. Yeah. I just want to bring the results so, of this poll that we asked, do you think social media platforms need more regulations? 73% of people said yes, they did. 27% said no. So people want but, this. Sorry, to go back to my point, we can boil all of this down to a very simple thing. Put your name to what you post. And that will stop 95%. But again, I would would just say that the problem with that is um, that even if you identify those people, um, they they often, and the law, everything in this country, you end up having to have recourse to to the courts. Mm -hmm. You will find that those people have no assets and they don't care if they're identified. And, and yeah. quite often they don't. So that, the so, but so they wouldn't have the balls to do it. And then the platforms themselves, let's not, let's not beat around the bush here. Often they want, um, aggression. They want um, no, they would fear deny and that. anger because that generates far more yeah. activity than does peaceful love-ins Depending like this. Depending on the platform. I mean, Be Real, TikTok, Instagram, yeah. these are platforms where there's much less of that sort All right, of aggression. I just want to give the final word to you, Alex. Yeah, just on the education point, I think we need, we need a much stronger focus on education in schools. So we absolutely need to equip children, they're living out their lives online. It's a, it's a massive element. 80% of kids, even before uh, um, COVID, said it was a, a huge part of their social connectedness. Yeah. So but what but, about but educating adults? We need to educate adults too, but we, and how do we, do we, that? Must, we must start with, we need it to be the fourth pillar of the education system, digital literacy, online safety. All right, look, I'm going to have to leave it there. My thanks to Alex Cooney for joining us. The rest of the panel are staying with me. And after the break, New Zealand passes the world's first tobacco law to ban smoking outright for the next generation. Could Ireland follow suit? Stay with us.
You're very welcome back. Well, New Zealand has today introduced a steadily rising smoking age to stop those aged 14 and under from ever being able to legally buy cigarettes in world-first legislation to outlaw smoking for the next generation. New Zealand is believed to be the first country in the world to implement the annually rising smoking age, ensuring tobacco cannot be sold to anyone born on or after the 1st of January 2009. Well, shortly before coming on air, I spoke to political reporter with Stuff Media in New Zealand, Bridie Whitten, and I began by asking her about how the law would work. Parliament passed some of the toughest laws in the world yesterday to deter people from smoking. So under this new law, people who are born on the 1st of January 2009 will never be able to buy cigarettes when they... Um, so they'll be turning 18 in about 2027, so they will never be able to buy cigarettes and the, the legal age to buy cigarettes will increase every year. So this will create the first ever smoke-free generation. Um, the other sort of two prongs of it are dr drastically reducing the amount of nicotine sold in tobacco products and the amount of places that can sell them. So at the moment, about 6,000 shops, um, dairies, what we call dairies in New Zealand, um, petrol stations can, can sell tobacco products, and they're going to trim that down to about 600. Um, is the ambition to live in a completely smoke-free society, do you think, Brady, or just to try and reduce consumption? I think that that is the ambition. So th this has sort of been a, a goal of New Zealand's for a while to um, be smoke-free by 2025 is the ultimate goal. So it is it is to, to completely sort of phase out tobacco products in New Zealand. That's right. I mean, that seems to be incredibly ambitious. That's only two years ago. Do you think they will succeed? Well, um, their fears have been raised with sort of a black market. Um, so, yeah. And how they're going to sort of regulate this isn't yet clear. Um, I mean, obviously, you could potentially, you know, bring cigarettes over the border. So, you know, we're, we're relying on our border workforce to, to track this sort of stuff and have, have the workforce to do this, police to to regulate it. So you there's no criminalisation for possession. It's just supply. So if, if someone that is born, um, in, you know, after January 1st, 2009, in the future does have uh, tobacco, they will not be charge for it but you know people that are supplying will be so yeah it is extremely ambitious um yeah whether it succeeds is, is another question but it's certainly a big line in the sand for our labor government it's one of these sort of um a policy they're really proud of um and yeah so the only only opposition they've had in the house is from our sort of center-right parties and it has been largely supported by all the public health agencies in new zealand and the public is generally on board with the whole smoke-free message so you say there is political buy-in, but there is public buy-in for this, despite how sort of ambitious and extreme it seems to be. Yeah, well, I think they've been sort of been signaling signaling for it for a while. So they've had so the retail yeah. So the the comment yesterday was you know retailers that have voiced disconsent, you know they've been consulted for nearly a decade. So the government said in about 2011 it wanted to move towards, you know, the smoke-free world. Um, but this sort of legislation was announced last December. So it was, it was, it's, it's world leading and it's sort of, it's pretty major. But I think, you know, we've sort of, you know, it's been in the tea leaves for a while that the government was moving towards this. Okay. What do they say is their justification for this decision? Um, so they just want to sort of get rid of the stranglehold that uh, tobacco companies, I guess, have over, over the market and over, over New Zealanders. So lung cancer is uh, obviously a call, uh, related to smoking and it's a huge driver in our uh, 
health uh, disparities that we have in New Zealand between the rest of our population and our indigenous population. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, so the, um, our Associate Health Minister, Dr Aisha Virul, who, who has brought this legislation and said yesterday in the House that it's actually going to halve the um, life expectancy difference between um, Māori women and um, Pākehā women in New Zealand, or non-Māori women in New Zealand. Okay. They've also pointed to major savings, haven't they, for the health system there? That's right. That's right, through that sort of lung cancer saving. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah, huge savings. They've said about $5 billion worth of health savings. Well, for more on this now, Ivana Bacic, Niall Collins, John Lee and Ian O'Doherty are still here. And joining via Skype is Cork GP, Dr John Sheehan. Uh, doctor, you're very welcome to the programme. And Niall, I'm going to start with you because it was Michael Martin, it was Fianna Foyle who really led the smoking ban in this country back in 2004. Do you think this could become Fianna Foyle policy, an all-out smoking ban, an ambition to have a smoke-free generation? Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's an ambition to try and eliminate as much smoking in our population as possible. There's no two ways about it. The damage that it does to your health. I'm a non-smoker myself, so I'd be, I'd be biased. We have 4,500 deaths per annum, um, smoke-related, COPD, stroke, uh, lung cancer, 16 different types of um, cancers, pulmonary disease. Puts a huge burden on our health service. What Mial Martin did, I think, at the time was uh, revolutionary in terms of um, implementing, bringing in the smoking ban. I'm not sure if the proposal in New Zealand would fly here. Um, you know, you're, you're, it, it, it's a big reach in my, in my opinion. I think we have to look at other areas like um, education and awareness, uh, possibly pushing out the age from 18 to 21. 
But I, I also think we need to move quickly, and in fairness to my colleague Stephen Donnelly, he has moved in relation to vaping. The, the whole area of vaping has, has really exploded, and in particular with uh, younger people. I see it myself. My own kids are teenagers going to secondary school, and they tell me the amount of vaping. So the, 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 no. the proposal to, to regulate, to bring in more regulation around the area of vaping, I think is right to licence. Why do you um, think, sorry to cut across you there, but why do you think a smoking ban like they have in New Zealand, or they're going to have, why do you think it wouldn't fly here? I, I, look, I mean, can it be? Can a ban, outright ban, be implemented? You know, um, you know, we, we get a, we have a debate in this country in relation to, to the use of cannabis, for example. Um, but in terms of bringing in an outright ban, I don't know. Is it the way to go? Myself personally, are you really reaching in, into people's civil liberties? Do you go after alcohol? Do we bring in a, bro, a prohibition on alcohol? Are we going com completely overboard? I, I think we have to strike the balance and get the balance right. Tobacco is a controlled substance. We have to look at uh, the types of controls. But education and awareness, I think, is the key one for me, particularly targeting our younger people. Would Labour support a move like this, Ivana? Well, I must say I like the ambition of the New Zealand model, and they're clearly doing this for health on health grounds. But I would have concern about, about bringing people with you on it. I think we are moving in that direction. I'm thinking about all the different environments that have become smoke-free, campuses that are now smoke-free. You know, the smoking ban did have a huge impact just on, on culturally reducing acceptability of smoking, particularly smoking indoors. We are seeing a big increase in vaping. And but I you can notice see, as the journalist was pointing out there, that the government government, she feels, have succeeded in bringing the public with them. You know, this is not something they've introduced overnight. This has been the ambition uh, of the government in New Zealand for, I think, 10, 12 exactly. years. Exactly. And I think that's the answer, in fact, here, that you move incrementally on these things. And indeed, in New Zealand, they've already got smoking down to a really low rate in the population generally. Interestingly, the ban doesn't, uh, as she said, it doesn't criminalise the person who's smoking themselves, and nor does it address vaping, actually. And I think we do need, in Ireland, to look also... in with the same sort of ambition at drug prohibition policies more generally here. And we in Labour, particularly my colleague Aon Ariardon, have really led the calls for a rethink of our drug policy. Uh, we want to see a citizens' assembly on drugs. We want to see, uh, we want to see I suppose, a more uh, realistic and a more rational move on drug policy. But to ultimately, look at, do you think the ambition... decriminalising those, for example, who are sm smoking cannabis. That's oh. the sort of thing we need to look okay, at. Okay, but just back to, I suppose, smoking what people might call ordinary cigarettes. Do you think the ambition should be for a government to get to the point where we have no smoking in this country? I think we should be looking at elimination of smoking on health grounds, but I think there are ways to do it short of the ban, the outright ban. And I think if we're moving towards uh, an approach of banning, we should be doing it on an incremental basis. And I do think education and awareness are hugely important in this because this is all part of a public health awareness campaign. And I think criminalising smokers, you know, that's not in the New Zealand proposal. Which is not what they're doing, that's, yeah. Yeah, and clearly that would be a bridge far too far. So I think we need to look at this as, a, in, as, as to how you can do this most effectively for people's health, for sure, but also balancing that with people's civil liberties. Uh, Ian O'Doherty, you are a smoker. Do you see merit in a ban like this? It's madness. This whole debate is complete madness. And it's not really about smoking. It's about control. It's about state control over what individuals do with their own life. Um, one of the reasons why this whole New Zealand thing is so spurious is, well, A, Jacinta Ardern's polls, polling numbers have gone through the roof, or gone through the floor. And also, New Zealand is one of the, has one of the least smoking rates 
in the Western world yeah, anyway. I mean, well, I think right? it's still about 9 or 10% but, of people but the thing of is, New Zealanders smoke on a daily basis. The, 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 it's there's, not there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole suite of reasons why this is absolutely crazy. Um, for a start, history has shown us prohibition does not work. If you want to make smoking more attractive for kids, ban it, right? But we could um, say, you know, because remember we had the head shops here in this country at one point, there was a proliferation of head shops, and then we introduced legislation very quickly, which made the substances that a lot of those head shops sold illegal disappeared overnight. Prohibition worked in that instance. Well, no, that was prohibition of things that were never really legal in the first place, and nobody wanted to get, you know, messed up on bath salts, as we saw, and there were too many deaths. But this is completely dystopian, completely authoritarian, and it goes into something that's much deeper than the individual's right to smoke. It goes into the states, particularly post-lockdown, and don't forget New Zealand was particularly authoritarian during the lockdown. It goes into now the overreach by the state into an individual's mm. bodily autonomy and to decide what they want to do. Okay, let me go to um, our GP who's joining us from Cork this evening. Um, Dr. John Sheehan, you're in support of this. Why? Uh, absolutely, Kira. I'm smoking, half the people who take up smoking die of smoking-related illnesses, whether it's heart disease, stroke, uh, emphysema, or lung cancer, or many other cancers. And Ireland showed huge leadership in 2004 when we bought in the smoking ban. And the same arguments that were used at that time in terms of the people who want to buy it, uh, take it on board, uh, were exactly used. And we're talking here, I think it's a fantastic initiative. We're talking here about people who aren't currently smoking. So these are people who aren't currently smoking that we're hoping they will never take up smoking. And this is a measure, um, not just the age thing, but also reducing the uh, number of outlets that are, are, are selling cigarettes um, that, so that they don't take up smoking in the future and they don't ha suffer the consequences. There is no other product out there, Kira, that causes so much damage um, um, as, as, as smoking. So I think in terms of a public health measure, it shows real leadership. And I think we should certainly consider taking it on board. The HSE has been huge amount of money. Should, uh, doctor, yep. but I'm wondering, given the response from the two politicians sitting here, one from Fianna Fáil and government and the Labour Party, do you feel you're hearing that leadership? I, I think there is. I mean, there's been a sea change in terms of smoking since the smoking ban has come in. And 18% of Irish people smoke now. That's gone down. It goes down nearly a percentage point every year. So there has been significant progress made. And then, you know, the HSE put huge resources into smoking cessation officers, nicotine replacement therapy, all of that. And I think this is another step. But really what we're doing is people, a bit like the, the vaping ban that, that, that Minister Donnelly brought in, these are people who aren't currently smoking. And what we're trying to do is prevent them smoking so that they don't suffer the consequences into the future. Or, you know, we're encouraging people who currently are smoking to, you know, to reduce down their, their smoking. And there is an element of freedom of choice. That certainly is true. But as a state and, and, and as a country, we frequently bring in laws that have public health benefits, whether it's seat belts, whether it's drink driving, whether it's vaping ban, and it's also whether it's smoking in the workplace. And I think this is shows real leadership from New Zealand and they're to be congratulated for it. And I think Ireland should adopt that. It is, a, 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 as the minister and Ivana Batrick said, it is about bringing people with you. Um, and, and, you know, we, we bought them with them with the smoking ban. And I think we can bring people with them with this because you're protecting young people and you're protecting the future. Yeah, John, do you think there would be public buy-in here? Do you remember, I suppose, the conversation around the original indoor smoking ban in 2004? I do. I just started in Leinster House and um, I remember all that discussion of how it wouldn't be taken on by the public and it was. Uh, if you look at Stephen, listen to what Stephen Donnelly has said recently, he is in 
he seems open to what other countries have done, which is raise the um, the age limit for buying cigarettes to 21. It's been federalised in the United States, I see. And a le- a, 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 over 10 countries have, have done it recently. Um, I think besides the, the, the freedom issue that Ian has referred to, I think the government here has a lot more data available to it. Um, I, I think back to a lot of those things that um, the GP mentioned. You know, when I was coming up, I started working in a pub when I was 13, um, as you could uh, part-time then. And I remember coming home from work with all my clothes, stinking of cigarettes. God knows how much uh, passive smoking it did then. But I also know I was a big drinker and I would have probably had a few pints with, with Ian in the Oval up on Abbey Street. And 20 years ago, I probably would have agreed with a lot of what he said, but I stopped drinking because I understood the, the effects it was having on my health. But I look back to when I was 13 working in a pub and I saw the effect the normalisation of excessive drinking had on me, I think. So now any law that would, would, would inhibit my children from drinking um, yeah. in the way we did when we were kids and smoking would be, would be welcome in this society. And I think Michal Martin, if he retains his position in government, will be one of those who could become a bit of a Taliban when it comes to smoking and follow New Zealand just as the world followed yeah. Ireland when it came to the smoking ban. Yeah, because I'm conscious, Ian, of something that the doctor said there, which is, you know, governments make all decisions all the time. Should it be your seatbelt, um, the use of illegal drugs, um, you know, speed limits on roads? They're always taking measures to try and protect people. This is just another one because it doesn't have any positive impact on somebody's health, smoking. Well, most of the examples you gave there are about protecting people from causing harm to other people, right? And just to go on to this thing, I, I sound like one of those Japanese soldiers who comes out of the jungle in 1950, <laughs> thinking that the war is still going on, right? The smoking ban was wrong then, and it's wrong now, and I stand over it. Because what it's doing is, A, it shut down so many pubs, right? So many people lost their jobs over this. There and was... what about the lives that were saved? Well, you know, I mean, how many angels dance on the head of a pin? The thing is, I know publicans who basically had installed smoke extractors, all this kind of stuff, and then it didn't make any difference to them. Um, it should have been, we should, right. we, should have, we should have bars where you can smoke, and then non-smoking okay. bars. I just want sorry, to just, de- de- I, I think, back in here. Just to, to recall that the smoking ban was actually introduced to prevent harm to others. It was introduced as a workers' rights measure because so many people, as John describes, and I worked in pubs as well, and I recall that smoke, that absolute envelope of smoke that was hanging over you. And it was to prevent the, the harm to others caused by inhaling secondhand smoke. I don't think there's any cause and effect between the smoking ban and, and pubs closing. What we saw were public... Oh, there is. Okay, let me say that. What we saw it, were pubs is. pivoting and opening new smoke, outdoor smoking areas okay. and really encourage and, and perhaps increasing clients just, a, that just, way. just but, a quick point you know, on, the, on the New Zealand model that they, they, they're targeting the sellers so they're, they're reducing the, the number the volume of people who can sell and they're that's their modus operandi for going about it we're, we're back to the old issue here that we have in the island of Ireland with two jurisdictions and a land border with a different jurisdiction and that that would complicate know, things absolutely so if you're but going to bring in a measure you know it has to be uh, implementable and can uh, I just say in defence so. of Jacinda Ardern as well, you know, she and her government have brought in, have been really ambitious and visionary in lots of things they've brought in. I'm thinking of measures like their reproductive health leave, which we're seeking to do here in Ireland for Labour as well. Okay. You, you know, even the approach they took to COVID, which while it was criticised oh, by... It was totalitarian. While it was criticised... 
people in New Zealand enjoyed far greater freedoms when everyone else in the you world was in lockdown. You don't agree that this is totalitarian? I don't is, think so. This is I governments think... trying to take control. This is nanny state well, stuff. I love to disagree with Ian where possible. <laughs> and, I think, and I'm happy to do so here. I think Jacinda Ardern has proven herself to be a really visionary politician who's okay. not afraid to take risks and to be radical. And some, you know, some things can be criticised, but there were people in New Zealand stop enjoying far greater freedoms. Stop telling us what to do. Freedom. She needs to do stop telling us. Do you think people in New Zealand enjoyed far greater freedoms while we were all in lockdown? Because they took a different approach to Okay, last question, right John Lee, Do you think in 50 years' time we look back on this issue and say it was a no-brainer? Why did we not do this sooner? Oh, absolutely. I think I think it is. And, and as I say, if if Mihal Martin, for instance, I've spoken to him privately about how pr how proud he is about uh, of the smoking ban, not and I think pardon? Sorry, not privately. Anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> but um, uh, well, uh, publicly he's spoken about it as well. But I know how proud he is of, of it. And I'm sure he will look to, look to this, just as I said, Manhattan, I think the Republicans there laughing at the smoking ban here, but they followed us. And, yeah. and I really think it's any measure to stop young people would be looked at by this government, and Stephen Donnelly has indicated it. All right, look, we're going to leave it there. My thanks to Dr John after the break. Our guests are staying with me. Uh, why UK workers, so many of them, are set to strike for better paying conditions. Well, the UK faces widespread industrial unrest in the run-up to the Christmas holidays and into January with potentially one million UK workers on strike as they struggle with double-digit inflation and they resort to strike action to demand better pay and working conditions. Hospital workers, teachers, postal service workers, rail workers are among those looking for better pay. Before coming on air, I spoke to journalist Ender Brady in London and I began by asking him about the discontent workers in the UK feel. I think there's a couple of reasons really, Kira. I mean, we haven't seen problems like this in Britain since the 1970s. So I think, look, the government has taken its eyes off the ball, really. I think this has been lingering on all year. Ministers have had a long, long time to try and get a handle on this. And they've just pushed the can further and further down the road, hoping that some sort of deal would materialise or that the unions would go away. And they haven't. And I think, secondly, the cost of living crisis and inflation here really starting to bite. Energy bills are going through the roof. We're in for a very, very difficult winter across the UK. Yeah, I heard a figure today and uh, that of all the strikes across all the different sectors go ahead, you could be looking at a million people in the UK out in strike come January. Yeah, easily. So tomorrow it's all about rail and mail workers. So there will be basically hardly any trains really in rural areas, England, Scotland, Wales tomorrow, hardly any train service. There was only one in five trains ran today. So the rail union, the RMT, led by Mick Lynch, who a lot of people would say has been one of the best communicators of the year. I mean, very, very few people have managed to lay a glove on him. He has outlined his stance and the strikes go ahead. So tomorrow it's all about rail workers and the Royal Mail going out on strike as well. And then on Thursday, an unprecedented situation with nurses going out on strike across the United Kingdom. So there will be 6,000 operations cancelled on Thursday and 64,000 outpatient appointments as well. I mean, it, it, we're almost into unprecedented waters here. In terms of the public 
reaction to this, given the fact that it is going to be so disruptive to rail services, I know to airport services potentially, as you say, nurses going out and strike, the, the list goes on and on. Is there public support for these strikers or what's the reaction there from the public? It's a very good point, actually. I think, look, short term, there is support. And I think people here are very mindful that, you know, the nurses, everyone was happy to clap for them every Thursday night during the pandemic on their doorsteps. The politicians have been offered the chance this week, negotiations around the table to try and, and put some money in the kitty to boost nurses' pay. And they've declined to do that. So I think in the short term, there's certainly support for the nurses. I think if people can't get to where they want to get to over Christmas, support for the rail workers will absolutely diminish. And I think the longer it goes on, I mean, it, it's bitterly cold here at the moment as it is in Ireland. But if this goes on into January and February and we're in months of kind of crippling strikes and the UK grinds to a standstill, I think long-term support will dwindle. What has the government's response been to this strike action or threatened strike action to date, Senda? So the government is simply saying that it can't afford to pay everyone that wants a pay rise in the public sector. So the figure being bandied around in Westminster today is somewhere in the region of £28 billion. Now, obviously, the UK is skint, still recovering from covid the economy is heading into recession absolutely in the next quarter, next year. And on top of that, you know, everything else that still needs to be paid for, that disastrous mini budget that Quasi Quarting and Lizzie, Liz Trust come up with. So, I mean, ultimately, the government response is that the coffers are empty, there is no money there, and everyone just needs to get back to work. And the unions are saying enough is enough. We will watch with interest here. Uh, Andrew Brandy, thanks as always. Thank you, Kira. Ivana, Nile, John and Ian are still here with me. Uh, I'm going to come to you first, Ian. I mentioned just some of the people considering striking, but it also includes coffin makers, driving test examiners, baggage handlers in airports. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There is clearly a huge amount of discontent in the UK. What do you attribute that to? Well, I've been through Manchester Airport twice in the last few months, going over to see Oldham play. And it already looked like the baggage handlers were on strike. I mean, the, the, you know, um, the weird thing, the, the grim sense of comfort we can take in this country is that as bad as things are, they're not as bad as they are over in England. And I don't think people here realise just England is beginning to develop the look of a failed state. Um, you had a government that won an 80 seat majority that looked like it was going to be completely safe and comfortable. They managed to completely splooge that against the wall. And you have a terrible opposition. So <clears throat> I think every, and also in, in Mick Lynch, the, the firebrand uh, union leader, you basically have he Arthur Scargill. the railway workers. Yeah, but you have Arthur Scargill for our generation. And he's going to do to his members what Scargill did to his and absolutely destroy their lives. This is, I don't see any way out of this for them. I think no, it's really, really bad. Yeah, that's what's interesting, John, is particularly when you look at the, the rail workers. I mean, this has been going on now for months and months and months. And there really seems to be stalemate there in terms of some sort of a compromise between the railway workers, the union and the government. Well, I noticed one thing that stopped uh, in, in relation to the RMT. There was, a, there was a trend here for interviewing Mick Lynch till I, I think a lot of people discovered that Mick Lynch and his union supported Brexit vehemently. Um, he has made a name for himself um, insulting um, news anchors, 
and uh, not answering questions, his um, his support and in his Putin, union. Don't forget. And, and mm. Putin and anything else. But, you know, part of the reason Britain um, uh, uh, ended up Brexiting was because of people like Mick Lynch, who are now... But also, it is, are, I think it's fair to now. say, it's not just rail workers... And people like Mick Lynch, who are out on strike. No, you know, we he, mentioned nurses the he, first time he, in, I think, he, over 100 years they've strike, gone he, on strike in the UK. He has become um, the face for it. And as, as Enda said, there might be some support for nurses, but there, I, I, I would love to see the levels of support for the, the rail workers after, after a month of this. Yeah. And I would also say that the RMT, their own union, first time out rejected a pay offer by the government of 90, 91% of them supported that right. rejection. Only 63% of us have supported that this time. So his, his support in his he, own union is diminishing. OK, well, he says it's not. He says that's a, a BBC reporting well, of the story. There you go, you know, he's, he's also accused the BBC on, of being um, right-wing is a bit, is a bit uh, He's a also bit called rich. on shadow, the shadow cabinet to come out and support the picket workers. He wants Labour members to get out and join the picket. Should they? Well, look, I think what we're seeing in Britain is very worrying. It's clearly, I mean, as Enda outlined there, it's, it's clearly heading into recession. It's, it's of enormous concern to people who are facing such poverty, such levels of poverty that we certainly haven't seen here. We were in London last week. Uh, I was leading a Labour delegation from here, meeting Keir Starmer and our sister party, the Labour Party in Britain, who I think are being providing, in fact, a very effective opposition, if I may say, Ian. I think what we're seeing in Britain is the result of the legacy of terrible years of Tory misrule and disarray and you know Rishi Sunak now as Prime Minister is still in charge of a party that is in disarray that is, is utterly uh, uh, utterly um, fragmented and divided do you think he's and in trouble over this I, sorry to cut across you I, I just think he is in trouble I think he's in trouble well, well, my, my view is it's how the mighty have fallen. A number of years ago when the IMF came in here, the UK were also our funders. They lent us €8 billion, Euros, but the, the key is social partnership okay. that worked here and they haven't adopted it over there as successfully Brexit as we have. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it here. My thanks to all of my guests. To you at home, take care. Good night. <laughs>